appreciative uh, tonight for Anina's playing for us today. Um, and it's so good to have her uh, sitting in for us as Sarah is away. And uh, I was reminded uh, that we were listening to Pastor Rob this morning and he drew our attention to the heavenly realm. And we're reminded tonight of the uh, communion and the fellowship that we have to look forward to for all eternity with those that we know and love where it will be uninterrupted by change and circumstance. Uh, my own experience has been recently to have had uh, various uh, people that I know and love who have passed away. And I'm always struck at during those times, especially where I know how the one who has gone uh, loves the Lord Jesus Christ and I say loves, uh, even now loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a joy it is to know that for the believer, uh, that assurance and that knowledge that we will be forever with the Lord and ever rejoicing in his presence with those whom we have come to love on earth, the communion that we share will not be broken. And uh, we come tonight to God's word and Psalm 119. Psalm 119, and we've come to the Hebrew letter Mem, which follows Lamech. Lamech, Mem, Nun, etc. Now I'm sure you all remember those Hebrew letters. I know some of you do. This is a, a wonderful psalm that is uh, written uh, with, now in this, these eight verses that we're going to read, every verse begins with the letter Mem. And uh, so it's, there's a great deal under the guidance and inspiration of the Holy Spirit of artistry and thoughtfulness as these verses have been crafted. So uh, here, as we read, then, the word of God, Psalm 119, beginning at verse 97, and reading through verse 104. Verses 97 through 104. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the age, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules for you have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. So ends the reading of God's word. Uh, let us pray. Eternal God, our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this psalm that you have given to us. 
expressing from the depths of the inspired psalmist his love for your word. And may it be that that same love for your, your revelation to us in Christ, your revelation to us in your inspired scripture, would be as dear to us as it was to him. And so, Lord, we pray that we might be instructed this night from your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. These eight verses are unusual in comparison to some of the other, uh, other uh, stanzas in this longer psalm, and that in these eight verses we don't fought, find any, uh, any uh, petition, uh, especially uh, in terms of protection from evil ones. Instead, what we have in these eight verses are an extolling of the love that the psalmist has for God's word, expressing that in prayer to God. He says, oh, how I love your law. Love is a powerful thing. You might have, uh, it's possible that you have something that you remember that was either given to you or written to you from someone that you love. Someone that you admire, someone who is dear to you. And uh, my guess is that you love to look at that object, whatever it is, whether it is something written or whether it is a gift of some sort, because it always reminds you of the one who gave it. And in the case of anything that is written, especially when it is written by one who loves, loved us and expressed that in a letter of some kind, how precious those words are to you and how you love to take that out and read it again and again. What the psalmist is saying is that he loves God's law. And he loves it because they are the words of love written to him as the king of Israel. And the king of Israel was instructed to meditate in the law of God constantly. It was to be before him always. And he knows as he reads God's word increasingly he admires and he loves that word which tells him of God's love for him. It is a powerful thing. The psalmist breaks out in an emotional exclamation. Oh, how much. Oh, how much. As though he cannot adequately express it. Oh, how much I love your word. Oh, how precious those, these words are to me. How lovely these words are to me. How satisfying these words are to me. It was a cause of great joy and satisfaction to him. What is the cause of that feeling of deep love for God's word? 
For someone who is outside and has not experienced the assurance of God's love, the forgiveness of sins, for someone who does not yet know God in that kind of a love bond, God's word isn't always, isn't known in that way. To the one who is alienated from God, the word of God is not so much an object of love, but much more so of dread and sometimes of outright hatred. And the reason is that it convicts, it condemns, and it convicts of the guilt of sin. And that's one of the functions of God's word. And it's a good thing that it does that. We need to hear God's law because we need to be convicted of it, of our sin. And the difficulty is for the one who feels themselves alienated from God that they feel that the last place they want to be or the last thing that they want to pick up is this book. The last place they want to be is a place where they will hear it. And yet, for the one to whom God is calling, that conviction of sin is the necessary prelude. That sense of despair over the helplessness, the helplessness that we feel before the power of our sin. And our absolute desperation that if we are to be delivered from it, it must be God breaking through and setting us free. To the one who experiences something like that, then they are led by the hand, by the gospel, to the Lord Jesus Christ, whom when the fullness of time had come, God sent, born of a woman, born under the law that condemns you. And he came to redeem those who are under the law, under the condemnation and the guilt of the law that the law convicts us of. He came to redeem you. If you know your sin, if you are repentant of it, all oh, that you would be led by the hand to the Lord Jesus Christ and that you would turn in faith and trust to him, and that you would know the joy of sins forgiven. It is often God's purpose to lead us through such difficult experiences. The word of God oftentimes enslaves us before it sets us free, and it is the Holy Spirit who is needed to convince us of the fact that Christ died for our sin and that he came to pay the penalty for my sin and that if I would turn in faith and trust in him, my sins may be forgiven. And so it is that the psalmist, as he considers the law of God, he considers it from the vantage point is that not only are the, these the demands and the the things that God requires of him, but it is God's love that is communicated to him. It is God's salvation 
that he knows in that word. It is the free word of forgiveness. It is God's grace freely adopting him and making him his child. And it is this is the reason that the psalmist can take such delight in the word of God. And so what is the Torah to such a person? What is the instruction of the word to such a person? Then it becomes something that is the object of delight. Then it becomes something that is communicative to him of God's fatherly instruction as to how he ought to live or she ought to live. In Scripture, God comes to us and he reveals to us his tender mercies, his grace, and his love. And he shows us his commands. He shows us the way in which he wants us to live. And the promises that he makes to us are revealed in that. And he teaches us how we should honor him in our lives. And as someone has put it, to maintain the family standard and to display a family likeness. That it is, that is what the purpose of God's word is, to show us God's redeeming love in Christ and then to show us the way in which he would have us to live. It is a wonderful thing that God gives us when he unveils his purposes and his love to us in his word. And he did that with his people from ages ago, with Adam after he sinned and was hiding from God. God sought him out. He covered him. He gave him the promise of a seed that would come from Eve. To Enoch, God showed grace in coming to him and communing with him and enabling Enoch to walk with him. Noah, Abraham, all of these men, sinners, sinners whom God had forgiven, sinners whom God had brought into fellowship with himself. And so we read in the Bible, God's revelation then reaches its climax in the Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, who for the love which he has for his people took upon himself your nature and mine and experienced all of the effects of sin, yet he himself was without sin, and he went to the cross, determinedly went to the cross that he would accomplish there that which you and I are in such desperate need of, that the justice of God against us would be fully satisfied. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know God's revelation of love in Christ? Here, God comes to us in the fullness of love and the Lord Jesus laying down his life for you. Have you trusted in him? Have you come to him with all of your sin and with all of your guilt and believed his word, his word to you? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Oh, what a wonderful thing it is to know the God who calls us into covenant with himself. This one who writes this psalm writes it because it is the word of the one that he has come to love. And he has come to love him because he has been delivered and he has been forgiven 
and he has been uh, brought into a fellowship with him. I'd like to notice four things about this love that he has for God's law. The first is that he loves the law of God because it is vastly superior wisdom. It is a vastly superior wisdom. You notice that after in verse 97, in exclaiming his love for God's law, in verse 98 through, through verses 100, we have a statement that he loves God's word because it makes him wiser than his enemies. In verse 98, verse uh, I have a hard time seeing the verses, the verse numbers. Uh, 99, it says, I have more understanding than all my teachers. And in verse 100, he says, I understand more than the aged or the elders. And so he uses this word more than. I understand more than. And I take from this that he loves the word of God because he considers the mind and the thoughts of God, his heavenly father, to be so great and so vast that it transcends all other human knowledge. And so he uses these comparative words, wiser than, more than, his teachers and his enemies and the aged. And so the psalmist uh, expresses the fact that the knowledge of God is a superior knowledge. Is he boasting? No, no, he's not boasting. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce says, no, in each of these comparisons, he's thinking of those who appear wise by the world's standards, but who lack the wisdom that comes from God. What is the wisdom of man, or what is the wisdom of the world in comparison with the wisdom of God? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world, as Paul writes to the Corinthians? The prophet Isaiah said that it was God's purpose to bring down the lofty pretensions of man, the haughty looks of man, and the pride of man shall be humbled. And so it is that God has brought to a state of foolishness, the wisdom of the world. And the psalmist delights in the fact that the wisdom that he has received from God's word is a word that far exceeds the wisdom of man. God had told Israel in the, uh, in the law in Deuteronomy chapter 4, he says this through Moses, See, I have taught you, Moses speaking, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land in which you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom, that will be your understanding in the sight of the peoples, that is the nations surrounding, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. The wisdom of God given to Israel would make them, in the eyes of the nations surrounding them, if they would follow it, great wisdom 
and it would be seen to be so. And it is a wisdom that is superior to the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of this age. Paul writes about those things. He says that no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. And he goes on to say that these are the things that are revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit who searches the very depths of God, that knows the mind of God, and he reveals the mind of God to those who love him. Oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how unscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? To be in possession of the teaching of God, to have God come behind you, And to whisper in your ear and say, this is the way that you are to walk. Walk in it. To learn from God is such an amazing thing. Think of it. The creator of the world comes to us and speaks to us. He doesn't keep himself secret. He he isn't coy. He isn't private. But he fully communicates his mind, his revealed will, to his people. And most of all, the Bible communicates the Lord Jesus Christ. In Scripture, we see Christ. It is Christ who is revealed to us by the Spirit. And so, it is Christ with whom we commune with and we fellowship with as we read his word. The second thing that we see about the love that this psalmist expresses for the word is that he loves the word so much that he's willing to declare war on his own vices. He says in verse 101, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not not turn aside from your rules for you have taught me. And then farther down in verse 104, Through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. To walk in fellowship with God and to hear God speak to us in his word is a primary motive for us to turn away from that which we know to be sin. John Calvin put it this way, he said, The psalmist proclaimed war against every vice that he might wholly devote himself to the service of God. With a nature so corrupted as ours is, amidst so many allurements, and with our minds so fickle, we are in the greatest danger of being led astray. And so he says, I hold my feet back from every evil way in order that I may keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. It is one of the things that God does in the one whom, by his spirit, he does in our hearts, is that he teaches us to abhor what is evil and to hold fast to what is good. There are things that are evil, that are extremely tempting to us. 
but for the sake of fellowship with God, for the sake of communion with him through his word, he says, I hold back my feet from every evil way. Abhor that which is evil. Hold fast to that which is good. It is God who calls us to turn away from evil. It is God who calls us to say no to that which we know is displeasing to him. We are called by his word into a life of holiness. Charles Bridges says, God's word not only points the lesson and makes it plain, but he imparts the disposition to learn and the grace to obey. So that now I see the beauty, the pleasantness, the peace, and the holiness of God's judgments, and I am constrained to walk in them. That leads me to the third thing for us to consider about love for the word of God. It is a love that sees that the way of holiness is so much better than the evil way. He says, I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. Why? Because he sees that the life of holiness, the life of walking in fellowship with God is so much better than all that is evil that is before me and to which I, my heart is deeply tempted. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Reflections on the Psalms, confessed to the fact that he was somewhat puzzled by the kind of language that we have here in these verses. Puzzled by the fact that he professed, the psalmist professed, love for God's law, loving it and delighting in it. He said, Lewis said, it is a bit like loving the instrument used by the dentist to pull out teeth. He could not relate to the idea at first because God's law required him to uh, love that which was painful to him. And someone who has been to the dentist recently um, I can relate to that analogy. It is definitely painful. But Lewis goes on to explain that he began to see something else. He says, the order of the divine mind embodied in the divine law is beautiful. It is beautiful. Therefore, what should a man do but try to reproduce it so far as possible in his own daily life? And Lewis says, as one eyes, one's eyes are more and more opened, one sees more and more in them. And it excites wonder. And this is the language, Lewis says, of a man ravished by moral beauty. You think about the effects of sin. Think of the effects of sin in our own hearts, in our own lives. Think of the effects of sin in our human families. How many broken situations, how much ugliness exists, how much 
pain and impurity. But God's law reveals a way of life that contrasts so beautifully with that. And it is true, and, and, the, and the beauty of God's law teaches us to hate everything that is opposite to it. Therefore, he says, though through your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Uh, I get to see something of the beauty of God's word and God's teaching and God's law and the beauty of a holy life devoted solely to God. And it makes me hate everything that is opposite to it and to hate it enough to say no to it and to do whatever it is necessary for me to do to be rid of it. I hate it that much. That hatred is fed by a sense of the beauty of God's holiness. The psalmist says that one of the effects of understanding God's word is a hatred of that which is evil. Look around. Look around and ask yourself if these words of the Apostle Paul don't describe life as you see it. They were filled, Paul says, with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder. I just uh, saw a headline uh, today, someone opened fire at a supermarket, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. They know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die. And they not only do them, but they approve. They give approval to those who practice them. Seeing, Paul says, that you have put off the old self with its practices, that put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Put on them, he says, God's, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if someone has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Now take those two descriptions. Place them side by side. And I ask you, which is most lovely? To what it does your heart long? How does, in what direction does your heart uh, turn and long for? Is, is not one a life that is beautiful? And is not the other the beginnings of hell? The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech, God says, I hate. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. 
and how we need to begin even in our own hearts. The temptations that we feel and the tendencies that we struggle against, may God give us grace that we might love the Lord and hate what is evil. The fourth thing I'd like for us to see in this is that he loves the law of God because it is sweet to his taste. And this is a metaphor, and it is, uh, it is a reference to Psalm 19. In Psalm 19, we read that the, of, the, of the word of God and the law of God, more to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. And here we read, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. He's expressing something of the pleasantness that he feels when he reads the word of God. It is pleasant and it is sweet to his palate. He has, because of the work of the Spirit of God in his heart, developed a taste for it. This is the work of God the Holy Spirit that he does in his children. He enables us to love it and for it to be sweet to our taste. As we read the word, the Spirit applies it to our particular circumstances, and we realize what a source of comfort and wisdom and direction it is. It's not always so. Sometimes we pick up our Bibles and we read, and the words just seem to lay flat on the page. Our hearts are asleep and cold. Some, the psalmist says, or the writer of the Proverbs says, one who is full loathes honey, but to the one who is hungry, everything, is bit, everything bitter is sweet. The one who is full loathes honey. So the best place to be is to be hungry. But we're not always hungry. Sometimes we're not as hungry as we need to be. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. They shall be satisfied. It is a good thing to be hungry. It is a good thing to be thirsty. It is a good thing to want God's word because we are hungry for it. Peter said, like newborn infants, long for that pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed, he says, you have tasted that the Lord is good, if you have tasted, if the Lord has given you a palate and a taste for his word, has he done that? Do you feel that in your own heart and soul? Do you taste the sweetness of God in his word? Think of the promises of his word. Promises to you who may feel as though that you are weighted under a load of guilt and sin and that you must perish forever in your sin. Here's a promise. I ask if it is not sweet. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have 
eternal life. Or when you're worn out with anxiety and worry and you hear these words, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Are those words not sweet? When you're worried about your earthly state, whether you will be able to make ends meet, you're wondering possibly if you might end up destitute. Hear the words of Jesus when he says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? If you meditate on those words, are they not sweet? Or when you fear trials and tribulations to come, or even the final struggle with death, and you hear these words, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Are these words? Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom and Cush and Seba in exchange for you because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. Are those words not sweet? When you're filled with grief and sadness and you remember the words written by the Apostle John in the book of Revelation. When all sadness and grief will be a thing of the past, we hear these words, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things are passed away. We could go through the whole of the Bible, and we could find instance after instance of so many, many precious words. So many words that have brought comfort and help to you in difficult days. And even those words of convicting power are precious words. If they bring us to our knees, and they bring us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the psalmist loves God's law. And he loves it so much that he is willing 
to depart from sin. He is willing to recognize that the precepts of God far exceed all human wisdom. And he experiences something of the joy and the sweetness of the promises of God to him. May it be that God's word would be such for you and for me tonight. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you that in your word you have given to us your commandments. And certainly those commandments are convicting to us. And each of us comes tonight as convicted sinners. We thank you, O Father, that you not only have given to us your commandments, but you have sent the Lord Jesus Christ to keep those commandments perfectly as our representative and for us. And that on the cross he bore the weight of the justice that we deserve. And through faith in him, we are able to be set free and to be given new life. Oh, Lord, we do pray that these words, that these words of great comfort and joy, these words of covenant, these words in which you come to us in love would be precious to us that we would love them more than life itself, and that we would love your word and be in it and reading, meditating upon it. Grant it, O Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As a final